John, thanks so much for joining us on the IKEA Australia podcast to talk all things sustainability. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your interest in sustainability and how you came to be involved in this subject? Well, to me, sustainability is common sense. I got involved back in 1986. That was when I had my first full-time job in the environment space. I basically was living in London. I was in Leicester Square watching a movie about rainforests that featured Charlie Borman. I came out of that inspired and I thought, all right, I found what I want to do with my life. I want to do something to protect rainforests and the environment. And within the the week, I had a job with a a pro-business, the first pro-business environment group called Earthlife, where I met a mentor, John Elkington, the guy who came up with the triple bottom line. He literally sat opposite me on, on many days, learned from John and a guy called Nigel Tursley, who'd started it, that, you know, uh, we could work with business to create real positive change. And so we were the first of the environment groups to work closely with business. And in fact, our bottom, uh, you know, the byline of the organization was where conservation means business. We wanted to show that, you know, if you're more efficient in the way that, you're using materials, uh, well, you know, you're conserving materials. That makes business sense. And showing that conservation means business means that if you do it properly, you can actually boost the bottom line as well. So we were the first environmental organization to kind of really go into the business sector to argue that this should become the new norm. Something that IKEA talks about a lot as well is doing more with less is actually good for us, but also good for the planet because it makes really good business sense. So that's really good to hear. And so you helped to start RE100 in Australia. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about that organization and the work that it does with business uh, on the topic of sustainability. Well, RE100 was started by the Climate Group in partnership with CDP, and they run the initiative globally. Here in Australia, I run the charity Do Something, and and we're the delivery partner for RE100 here in Australia. We started at the end of 2018. Uh, uh, Sam Kimmins, the global head, came over here. We I managed to get uh, over 100 business people in the same room to look at how could we get Australian businesses to become more renewable? Because the whole idea of RE100 is to get major, major companies to commit to going up 100% renewable by a set date. And IKEA and Swiss Re were our first two co-founding members. And the great news is globally, we now have uh, over 280 big corporate members around the world. We've got online companies like Facebook, eBay, and Google. You've got uh, major beverage companies like Diageo, Carlsberg, and Anheuser-Busch in Bev. You know, we've got the big consumer brands like HP, Apple, Sony, Philips, Panasonic, Microsoft. You've got Unilever, Nestle, Nike, PM, you know, Procter and Gamble. You name it. There's, there's just so many major companies involved. Here in Australia, we've now uh, managed to get 16 uh, organizations involved. And if you added up the market cap of those Australian companies that have joined, uh, they're worth more than $620 billion. And if you added up uh, all of the electricity that's used by the RE100 members around the world, we actually now, as a, as a, as a, as a group of members, use more electricity than Australia uses. So, you know, dozens of our members have already gone 100% re- renewable. Many others are going 100% renewable in a, you know, quite shortly. And, you know, our view is that, you know, if all of the RE100 corporate members can go 100% renewable, there's absolutely no reason why Australia can't do the same. 
It's interesting you say that because all of the research, uh, you know, from organisations like Edelman is showing that people are trusting government less and less, but they're trusting businesses more and more, particularly on this subject. That sort of aligns with what you're saying, that businesses have a real role to play here and perhaps a role, you know, bigger or equal to than government in addressing sustainability. Uh, Look, without a doubt, if you look at the members of RE100, they have set the role model and example for how we need to move forward on renewables. If you look at Apple as a good example, I've just started a new new video series uh, called Energy Insights uh, for RE100, where I am interviewing leading global business leaders on sustainability matters. The first interview uh, was with Lisa Jackson. And Lisa used to head up the EPA for Barack Obama when he was president. And she now heads up sustainability, energy and social issues at Apple on a global basis. The interview I just did with her, you know, just looking at what Apple is doing is absolutely amazing. They've now managed, in addition to going 100% renewable uh, themselves, they've gone out to get 73 of of their major suppliers in their supply chain who've committed to go 100% renewable uh, as, you know, in in partnership with Apple. And that's really good. And and Apple even has a team that advises their suppliers on how to go renewable with their energy use. They're also, you know, like IKEA, Apple is also looking at ways in which the materials they use can use more recycled content, can be more sustainably sourced. And, you know, many of the companies that are involved in RE100, each of them has a really interesting and unique story about the way in which they're ensuring that they're becoming more sustainable, that they're moving more towards uh, what we call the circular economy, which, Mm. you know, is critical because, you know, when you think about the earth, we've only got so many resources on the planet and we have to use them in a far more sustainable way. And we're currently using more resources than, than the earth can sustain. And I think that is why business is so critical here. You know, they can play the key role in helping to drive the circular economy, but we do need government there to help set the parameters that will make it easier for businesses to become more circular in the way they're using their resources. You mentioned Apple and IKEA, but what are some other really good examples of businesses that you've seen who are leading the way in terms of sustainability and, and the circular economy as well? Well, look, you know, Tesla uh, are one of my absolute favorite uh, companies. If you look at what Tesla have done, they've played a, a leading role in, in transforming the entire car sector. You just think about all the pollution uh, that we have from vehicles. It's enormous. And, you know, we're now in a situation where governments are announcing plans to phase out the sale of, you know, petrol and, and, and diesel cars. Most of the car companies have now announced their own plans to transition to electric cars. Would that have happened without Tesla? Absolutely not. You know, you're seeing countries like Norway, where two thirds of the new cars now being sold are electric cars. So Norway, on a per capita basis, is leading the world. You know, look at China, 400,000 electric buses now in China alone. And we're seeing IKEA, Amazon, DHL and other really major companies now fully switching over, you know, the, the coming years to being, you know, having all of their delivery vehicles either being electric or, or hydrogen. It's really helped to provoke positive change, I think, in, in many other sectors as well. It's interesting on the on the topic of EV because IKEA Australia has its own ambitions when it comes to EV and home delivery. And our goal is 100% electric vehicle delivery by 2025. But it's a real challenge for our business because the environment in Australia just doesn't seem to be 
at the level that you're talking about that exists in Europe and China and other places. Why is that? Why is Australia still a really difficult market for, for EV? This is a really, really good question because if you think about electric cars, you think Tesla, right? But when you think of electric car chargers, who is the equivalent? It's Tritium in Brisbane. It's an Australian company. You know, they make the world's best fast chargers for electric cars. And slowly, you know, but surely we're getting them rolled out here in Australia. But if you think about it, by 2025, I think it is, Jaguar are going to be fully electric. You've got other car companies, you know, by 2030, 2035 will be fully electric. Given that Australia no longer makes cars, we're going to have to take what we're given from overseas. And so, you know, we are going to have uh, less and less choice in the coming years on the kind, you know, on buying petrol and diesel cars. And the choice in electric cars is going to jump up dramatically. So much excitement, I think, in that kind of innovation that we're seeing with electric charging. We definitely need government to to increase, you know, and make it easier to get that recharging network in place. Because if you look at Norway, why is it that Norway has two thirds of their cars being sold being electric? It's because you've got lots of places where you can charge them. When you're out and about in motorways, when you go to the UK, you know, McDonald's in the UK are about to put chargers into all of their drive through restaurants. So, you know, we should be looking at doing the same thing with McDonald's here uh, in Australia. Again, another good example there of business, you know, taking a leadership role. Uh, so it, it is very important that we do that because we, you know, Tritium have already created hundreds of jobs already. And if we get behind a company like Tritium by rolling out their charges across Australia, you know, we can create hundreds of more jobs as well. What are your thoughts on activism from business? Can this really make a difference, do you think? IKEA is, and I'm not just saying it because I'm talking to you, it's IKEA is one of the leading companies, you know, in the world in that regard. You banned incandescent globes, you know, so you only sold LED lighting. You did that before anybody else did it. You've been taking a lead on using renewable energy when you helped to start RE100 and being one of the first two members there. We're not far away now from having 300 members. You know, you guys helped to kick that off. You know, you've got solar panels on your rooftops, you know, the circular economy side of things. You know, you've got the Kungsbacker kitchen where, you know, it's made from recycled PET and recycled wood. And you can't tell this product. It looks brand new. It looks awesome. Businesses can take a lead and can create change, but individuals can create change too. You know, if I look back at what I've done with Pat Cash, I started Planet Arc, you know, with Olivia Newton John, I started National Tree Day, One Tree Per Child. You know, when I left Planet Arc in 2007, I thought, right, I'm going to focus more on working with business. One of the first projects I did was work with Philips. Uh, I came up with an idea why can't we phase out incandescent globes over a three year period? And I got the CEO of Philips to write a note saying, will phase out incandescence over three years if all the other lighting companies do the same. And so I ended up uh, talking to the environment minister of the time, the federal environment minister Ian Campbell, and, you know, with Ian uh, pushing it through cabinet, that's how the ban on incandescent globes took place here in Australia. We were the first developed country to do it, and then the rest of the world followed, you know, and I've managed to get rid of phosphates in laundry detergents. So that's 2 billion washes a year that don't have phosphates ending up in our environment. You know, I worked with businesses to get rid of microplastic microbeads in beauty products here in Australia. So, you know, individuals uh, on their own can also create change. And I would encourage anyone listening now to think about what you're doing in your own life, to think about when you're going to the shops, when you're buying things, what is the environmental impact of what you're buying? How can you reduce that impact? How can you make sure you're recycling it? 
how can you look at using renewable energy in your own life in the way that all these companies are so that you reduce those impacts that you have within your personal lives? Because we've seen it with recycling, you know, with so many people recycling, you don't make much difference, just one person. But when you have a lot of people doing it together, you're creating really positive change. And actually, this is what IKEA sees its role as, you know, obviously we see our role as minimizing our own impact on the planet through our operations, but really being an enabler for people to take action in their own homes, which is why, you know, we now offer uh, home solar. Um, obviously, you know, there's significant sustainability elements built into our products. So we're really trying to create that movement within people's homes for them to be able to make the changes that are needed for, you know, that mass change that we need in society. So that's really good to hear. But just on the on the subject of business, why would a government listen to a business like IKEA on this? You know, we're a multinational brand. Do you think homegrown businesses are more effective at standing up and talking to government on issues like this? Or is there weight in an international brand, you know, coming to government and knocking on the door and saying, you need to do better? Yeah, absolutely. If you, uh, you know, why would a government listen to business? Well, businesses drive the economy. Businesses create the jobs that, you know, underpin the economy, that underpin the ability for governments to operate. And one of the key things we need to see is to see governments making it easier for businesses to do the right thing by the environment. Businesses are doing some amazing things and governments are not doing enough to make it easier for businesses to bring that change about. Uh, you know, for example, you know, incentives that enable companies to make that transition to electric vehicles in, in their fleets, you know, to make it easier for the rollout of the rechargers, to take away those, you know, the, the extra taxes that are, st are still being applied to electric vehicles. What never ceases to surprise me when I sit down with ministers and their advisors is how little they know about the positive things that businesses are doing around the world. It does your brain in when you when you talk to them and they, they have so little knowledge about the really, really good stuff that's happening. I'm trying to, you know, basically inspire people that, you know what, every solution we need for all the elements we have around the world, there is a solution available that businesses are able to implement. And so if we're truly serious about preventing the kind of climate change that will make life very difficult for our ability to live a normal life on this world, we have to move a lot faster. And the, the problem is that, you know, governments and politicians often are so inept when it comes to knowing what is possible in the business sector that they are unwittingly holding it back. Or in the case here in Australia, you know, the government has actively been trying to stop renewables in favour of coal and gas, which makes no sense because from a financial point of view for businesses, when you are doing what we call a power purchase agreement, where you're effectively buying the, you know, the power directly from the farm, as it were, it's like when you go and buy strawberries from a farm directly and pick them yourself, it's going to be cheaper. And so, you know, a lot of the businesses that we have, uh, you know, that I liaise with are actually saving money by using renewables instead of, you know, uh, fossil fuels. And at the same time, they're reducing their impact. And in fact, a lot of businesses want to see it so that it's easier to get renewables and take advantage of the fact that renewables are so much cheaper. You know, so our grids are still not quite set up in the way that they could be to actually reduce energy bills for businesses, reduce energy bills for households. And, you know, uh, there is no doubt in my mind, if we really put our mind to it, we could easily go 100% renewable in Australia by 2030 and totally eliminate coal. 
and be in a situation with pump hydro, with batteries that we can store the unused solar power, the unused wind power. You can store it in pumped hydro uh, facilities. You can store it in batteries, and the cost of those are coming down at the same kind of rate that we saw with solar. You know, if you think about the last 10 years, the cost of solar has come down by 80%. If you look at things like offshore wind, one of the most exciting things that is happening at the moment around the world is uh, the growth of offshore wind in the UK. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a single turbine can power 15,000 homes a day. That's just one turbine. And they're now building, you know, there's way bigger turbines coming that will power even more homes than that. And so we're seeing some really exciting things starting to roll out. And in the UK, the Conservative government is a right-wing government. They have played the key role in the development of the offshore wind. This should not be a political issue. You know, here in Australia... It tends to be a political football. But if you look at the UK, the UK government, which is right wing and conservative, have done amazing stuff when it comes to developing the world's best offshore wind industry. So I'd like to see politics being taken out of the climate change debate, because at the end of the day, acting against climate change is good for the business bottom line. It creates new opportunities. It creates new jobs. And at the same time, create a better environment that is more sustainable for our kids and more sustainable for business, too. And is this why RE100 was founded? Is it to sort of get all of the voices of business together and make it one big impactful voice? What RE100 is all about is just getting on with it, right? Just getting on with it and getting results. And it is so inspiring when you talk to all the many corporate members of uh, RE100. So many of them are doing incredible things to reduce their impact on the environment to ensure that they are actively playing their part in creating a cleaner energy future where we are massively reducing carbon pollution, you know, which is absolutely critical. And in terms of the timeline, businesses have set themselves timelines uh, on doing that, which are far more ambitious than what governments are doing. You know, if you look at Woolworths as an example, Woolworths use 1% of Australia's electricity. And yet by 2025, Woolworths, who are an RE100 member, they're going to be on 100% renewable energy by 2025. Coles just announced that they're going 100% by end of financial year 2025 as well. So if these really major energy users can do that, what that says to governments is, what, what, why are you holding back? You know, if, if businesses can do it this fast, why can't we move this fast with regards to more renewables within our grid in Australia? Why can't we phase that coal by 2030? Uh, it's certainly possible. Why can't we do what Mike Cannon-Brooks and Andrew Forrest are doing with Sun Cable, where the plan is to have the world's biggest solar farm in the Northern Territory, the world's biggest battery up there as well, and then feed power through underwater cables to Singapore from here in Australia. So that way, again, creating jobs, helping to reduce the environmental impact of Darwin, because Darwin could go 100% renewable that way. And at the same time, about 20% of the power for Singapore could come from here in the Northern Territory. So if we can do that for Singapore, it means we can also feed power into Indonesia. Uh, It means that we could look at 
taking renewable energy and turning it into hydrogen and then exporting the green hydrogen as well. Uh, so there are lots of opportunities, I think, you know, for governments to uh, to get more on the front foot, because at the moment, businesses and people and business leaders like Andrew Forrest and Mike Cannon-Brooks have taken that kind of leadership role. Companies like Tritium have taken the leadership role. Uh, but we need to get government to become more innovative and, and to underpin and help these Australian companies to ensure that our economy adapts for the future type of economy that will be far cleaner and there's so many more jobs that we can create if we do that properly. So, John, from a business perspective, who is pioneering uh, renewable energy around the world? Obviously, this is a, a subject that has some difficulties in Australia, but if we take a look globally, who is best in class when it comes to renewables from a business perspective? Apple really inspire me because Lisa Jackson and her team, you know, they're providing advice to their supply chain because a big part of the uh, carbon impact that Apple have comes through their supply chain. And they're actively working really hard. They've gone, you know, 100% themselves. That was announced a couple of years ago. The fact they've got 73 of their suppliers to sign up to go 100% renewable, and they're still actively seeking more companies. What they're doing is they're using their cloud in the marketplace to drive change in their supply chain, but they're also assisting their suppliers in that transition to renewables. So I think Apple has been setting an incredibly wonderful role model for other companies to follow. And any big company, I think if they are serious about going 100% renewable, you also have to look at, you know, who's actually making our products? Where are we getting our materials from? How do we make sure that we're using clean energy in that supply chain? How do we make sure that the materials we're getting are more sustainably derived so that we can create a truly sustainable economy? Because if we don't, the problem is we are going to be in real strife. You know, climate change is not reversible, at least with the technologies we have right now. If you look at the growth in population, uh, you know, that we're going to have by 2040, 2050, we're going to have to do a heck of a lot more with a lot less materials. And so it's basically a mathematical problem. You can't just keep growing the population the way we are. You know, people are having better quality lives, more clothing, more food, more resources are being used. We've got to become a lot more savvy. So when you see people like Apple, IKEA and others being at the forefront of that change, uh, and many of the other RE100 members, uh, it's inspiring to see because when they set that example, when they get their supply chain involved, well, if they can do it for Apple, it means they can do it for other companies too. And when someone supplies something to IKEA that's more sustainable, also it means for you know their other customers, they are you know they can provide that sustainable alternative as well. So I think that's where the business leadership is so important in this space. And I guess people, you know, look around Australia and and wonder why renewable energy hasn't taken off as much. Why are businesses not investing as heavily in Australia in terms of renewables, do you think? Look, the reality is that, uh, you know, there's a lost 10 years in Australia where renewables became a political football where you have certain politicians and again, I don't want to get too much into this because I'm not uh, into politics. I'm more into sort of business kind of solutions. But the reality is we had some politicians who actively sought to undermine the renewable energy target, the implementation of renewables, you know, the rollout opportunity of renewables 
to actually reduce energy bills. You know, this false narrative, totally false narrative was fed out there that renewables would wreck our economy. There was people literally were saying this nonsense and you know, the media were picking it up, rolling it out. Renewables were bad for jobs. It would be, you know, you know increase the cost of your bills. You know, it was absolute nonsense. You know, we're seeing so many companies that have gone renewable have actually saved money. And, you know, if you look at the cost of renewables, the big problem that people like AGL and Origin now face here in Australia is, you know, renewables are getting so incredibly cheap that the coal-fired power stations are becoming uneconomic. And so what people are now just starting to realize in Australia, and you can see it in the business pages in newspapers like the Fin Review, people are waking up to the fact that actually coal is going to disappear way faster than the government wants. It's going to disappear way faster than companies like AGL and Origin want it to because of simple economics. Renewable energy is significantly cheaper, especially brand new energy. A lot of these old coal-fired power plants are really old. And uh, the simple fact is we've got to move really fast to replace them. The good news is that the business, you know, the technology is there, the businesses are there able to do it. There's certainly a huge amount of money available in Australia and globally to roll out more renewables. And we just have to get on with it. You know, the simple fact is we're seeing more leadership from states. You know, and and this is a bipartisan approach. You know, Matt Keane, who's a liberal uh, energy minister, is absolutely fantastic in New South Wales. You've got Lily D'Ambrosio, who's, you know, is Labour, doing a brilliant job in Victoria. The South Australians, you know, Labour initiated them doing incredible stuff on renewables. And, you know, the Liberal Party, you know, there has carried on and doing great stuff on energy, on renewables. So we're getting the leadership, thankfully, at the state political level. Great stuff is happening there in Queensland as well. But, uh, you know, at the federal level, uh, I think it's a, a degree of, of incompetence. And, uh, you know, as I said, I don't like getting involved in politics, but the good news is at the state level, at the business level, fantastic stuff is happening. And you would have heard about Zali Stegall's bill to mandate essentially net zero by 2050. I think Zali's great the way that she as an independent is moving to get businesses together. She's moving to get a, you know, getting support from many different sectors to get on the front foot. And the simple fact is what she's proposing is great for business. What she's proposing is great for the economy. It's going to be great for lower energy bills, both for households and for businesses. It's a bit of a no-brainer what she's proposing because it is actually good for the economy. And this is the one thing that we have to realize, renewable energy and the ability to store that renewable energy will make Australia's economy resilient for the future. And we've got to grab the opportunity because the danger is when it comes to exporting coal and exporting gas, we're right up there leading the world. And it's a key part of our economy. But the fact is, you just have to look at all the countries around the world who are going, okay, well, we're getting rid of that by this date. You know, if you look at 2050, a lot of the things that are helping to bring in a lot of money for our economy, we're not going to be able to sell it. I mean, we're having an issue now with, you know, getting our coal into China. Uh, it's, you know, there's a real issue there at the moment for us as an economy. So we need to move very fast in developing the alternatives like green hydrogen. We also need to think, uh, you know, Beyond Zero Emissions is a think tank that have come up with a million job plan. 
They've got this amazing plan for how we could create a million jobs, uh, you know, with things like steel, green steel. Let's make steel that has no environmental impact on climate change. You know, let's look at how do we use renewable energy when we're making our aluminium? You know, so we could actually export renewable energy in steel, export it in aluminium, look at ways in which we can export it with green hydrogen. There are so many opportunities for our economy uh, to replace the money we're getting in from coal and gas. The fact is, other countries are going to stop buying our coal and gas. So we have to start developing the alternative to be on the front foot. Because if we don't do it, other countries are going to do it. And they'll take the energy markets that up till now have actually helped to underpin our economy. I'm hoping that people can take a lot away from this and hopefully go and inform their own knowledge about sustainability and business after listening. But just one final question, and it's the question I guess that everyone is asking in lots of different channels and lots of different ways, but how has COVID disrupted renewable energy, particularly for Australia? Do you think it set us back? You know, you talked about that 10-year wasteland that we have in Australia in terms of renewable energy policy. But do you think COVID has inhibited take-up of renewables or has it been a good thing? In the first months, you know, if you look at March last year, you know, running RE100, it was so disruptive. You know, you had companies where previously where everyone was, you know, in an office with a very streamlined decision-making process, suddenly everyone was working from home. So there was a period of months where it was almost impossible to get hold of people. And so there was a bit of delay that happened at that point, but we're seeing a lot of companies now uh, really making, you know, very big commitments to renewable energy. Uh, And there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, COVID has been a difficult time for a lot of individuals. It's been a very difficult time for a lot of companies, especially small businesses and and, uh, and medium-sized businesses. But at the end of the day, there is light at the end of the tunnel for the broader economy. I think now we've got the vaccines starting to roll out uh, around the world. But when it comes to renewables, the great thing is renewables just keep getting cheaper and making even more economic sense. So there's there's absolutely no doubt that, you know, by 2030, if we were serious, we could easily just replace coal with renewables and storage. And that, I think, is the kind of target we need to set ourselves. And we need to start thinking about, as I said before, how do we start exporting, you know, with renewables, uh, whether it's through materials or whether it's through things like hydrogen or whether it's through underwater cables with sun cable and others into other countries. You know, we've got to start thinking big. And we've got to start being ambitious because we're good at that in Australia. We're innovative. We have lots of clever people. We have lots of money. We have a good economy. And uh, I think going forward, we need to make sure that economy is as clean as possible because we have 25 million people in Australia. We're wealthy. We've got lots of sunshine. We've got lots of wind. If Australia can't do it and set that example for the world, we're failing as a country. The world needs a role model. Australia can be that role model. John, I love your optimism and it's always a pleasure to talk to you about this topic and many more. Thank you for your your advocacy on how businesses can truly make a difference in the economy and in terms of sustainability and really uh, contributing to that debate. So uh, we appreciate the time you've taken to speak to us and we look forward to, to working with you on this and many other subjects in the future. So thanks very much. Well, thanks for having me. And, you know, if anyone wants to know what is actually happening, go on twitter.com, type in smarter futures. You'll see every day I'm posting good news stories about what businesses are doing. And if you want to download any of my business guidebooks, you can do that for free at johnd.com. It's J-O-N-D-W-E.com. And you can download the books for free. Thanks, John.